This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the program. It is Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Trotter. Sandy Clough on my left. The Denver Broncos have their first preseason game on Friday in Arizona. For the most part, uh, healthy starters will play. We'll hear a little bit from Russell Wilson later in the program about why he thinks that's a good thing. But uh, the injury bug for the Broncos may be the, uh, the one thing question that nobody can do anything about, but the Broncos have been stuck with it for the last couple of years. You know, there's questions about coaching, questions about Wilson, questions about the roster. Uh, injuries have a way of, of wreaking havoc with all of that. Today, the Broncos get a couple injuries, a couple players leave, and uh, good news on one, literally as we go to air right now, the beauty of uh, being live, but uh, earlier in practice today, uh, Brandon Johnson, the wide receiver who has been stepping in for Tim Patrick, almost uh, really snap for snap. From the get-go, uh, leaves practice today. Uh, he ends up uh, getting hurt and has to. Uh, he does walk off the field, but there wasn't any update. Mike Kliss of Nine News uh, literally just tweeted within the last 60 seconds that Johnson is expected to be, quote, fine, according to a source. So that in and of itself, uh, take that for face value, that is good. Also noting that he hasn't said anything about Mike McGlinchey, who got rolled up on uh, in the drills. He uh, rolled up on the leg, was able to walk off, but no update on his condition. McGlinchey, the big addition financially for the Denver Broncos this offseason. Cam Fleming took his spot. Fleming, of course, uh, has had that role before. Garrett Bowles, by the way, today, uh, maintenance day, for lack of a better term. Load management, if you will, to borrow the NBA parlance. Uh, Isaiah Prince and Cam Fleming serving more or less as the guys in those roles today. But uh, McGlinchey ends up leaving with injury. If anything serious has happened to Mike McGlinchey for the Denver Broncos, that is that's not a that's not a small problem. It's not even a huge problem. It might be an insurmountable problem, Sandy. I would agree. It it, it would be, with all due respect, a more serious setback than the injury to Tim Patrick. The Broncos oh, played questionably almost all of last year. Well, all of last year. <laughs> in the regular season without Tim Patrick. And even in the preseason, he was hurt on the, I believe the first day in pads last year, just as he was injured this year. Right. Fifth, first day, fifth day of camp, both days, yeah. as it turns out. That's but, right. but yes, that's right. And so uh, loss of McGlinchey uh, again, the right tackle position has been a black hole going back to 2013. And Super Bowl Forty Eight, and I thought there was an overreaction to the performance by the offensive line in Super Bowl Forty Eight. That wasn't warranted. <laughs> that wasn't warranted in the sense that everyone played badly. Correct. that day, and it seemed that massive changes were made. Instead, Orlando Franklin had been playing right tackle mm-hmm. throughout the season in two thousand thirteen. Had a very good year. Was developing in his third season into, uh, if not a Pro Bowl caliber right tackle, then at least uh, a very good offensive right tackle. He was then moved in 2014 to left guard, and he struggled there for part of the season. By the end of the season, I think he was a pretty good player at the position. But that began a series of moves 
that left the Broncos with basically no right tackle of even serviceable quality for the next nine years. And if McGlinchey goes, nine years may become 10 years. Even when the Broncos won the Super Bowl in 2015, they had problems at the right tackle position. And it has been a position that has been manned by no individual for longer than one year. You go back, and as Casey Stengel used to say, you could look it up. Yeah. Not one player has manned the position for longer than a year. And Orlando, I believe with the exception of one game, played every game in 2011, 2012, and 2013. I do agree that that was that was one of the bad situations where he was sort of scapegoated. They looked at it and decided, okay, somebody had to. Get oh, we got we, we got to make massive changes. Right. No, that that wasn't the only position shift, and they ended up moving some people, uh, letting uh, at least one player go, mm-hmm. and then moving on by switching a number of people around, and I mean not just shifting them from one tackle spot or one guard spot to another, but changing tackles to guards and making guards play tackle uh, where they weren't. Luis Vasquez is a terrific player as a guard. As a guard, yep. He was playing out of position as a tackle, always was, Mm -hmm. uh, serviceable at times, but playing out of position. And I, I, I am not sure that, it shortened his career, but it certainly didn't help lengthen the career of Lewis Vasquez. So hopefully nothing serious uh, with Mike McGlinchey. Obviously, Broncos fans, you talk about that right tackle position, are fully aware of how there, there's problematic There's literally is nobody that. else who can play right tackle I mean, you're on talking a national about Cam Fleming. level. That's it. He can't. And, it, and, and, and the Broncos even, have tried it. <laughs> Cam Fleming's rather low standards, he's had a terrible camp. Every indication is that and I don't know so much about today but he's been getting beaten like a drum by various members of the Denver edge rushing core uh, edge rushing not exactly being a strength on this team either at least not in a production sense yeah they you are trying to figure out how this is going to shake out and we'll, we'll get to that as well uh some comments about yeah. Zach Allen from Defense Coordinator Vance Joseph today that we'll get Let's to here as well. Keep in mind, and I know we don't want to go back and relitigate last year. Everything's different this year, and Sean Payton has been very intentional about making everything different. The one thing that hasn't changed is the injuries in the preseason, the volume of injuries in the preseason. That has not changed. And I'm not casting aspersions on anyone, but it hasn't changed. The other thing that hasn't changed is the fact that Football Outsiders Efficiency Metric, DVOA, let's remember, placed the Broncos as one of the eight worst teams in the National Football League a year ago. They were 25th in overall DVOA. That's an efficiency metric. Yeah. They it basically compares every play to league average. on yeah. offense, so the bottom five offensive mm-hmm. team. And 10th on defense, 
which compared to the offense looks pretty good, but there are teams right around Denver's area in the rankings last year on DVOA who are pretty good defensive teams too, including the Indianapolis Colts who are listed as the worst team in the NFL last year because they were the worst team on offense. They were in the upper half of the defensive rankings. Now, they weren't top 10, but they were 14th in a 32-team league. They were dead last on offense. The reason they were the worst team on efficiency was because they were the least efficient offensive team in the NFL last year. Houston wasn't good on defense, but much better on defense than on offense. Arizona, Vance Joseph's team, mm-hmm. 24th in the defensive efficiency metric, 30th on offense. You get the idea. Right. So the New York Giants are a playoff team last year. Mm-hmm. They were 10th on I- offense, 29th on defense. The Broncos are 5-12 and 12 last year, 29th on offense and 10th on defense. Remind me again it's an how off, the it's phrase an defense match. wins championships. The funny thing is, I still think, applies. Remind me again of how that still I'll, applies. I'll, t- I'll actually tell you how it does. Doesn't. Well, it, it doesn't. It, it does it nothing to do with it. It does in, I would argue that it does, but it does in the shorter term. You'd much rather be a good offensive you team. You would much rather be a better offensive team. team. You would. Defense, defense, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but, you know, there, there are three teams. Last year, and only three that ranked in the top 10 on both offense and defense. Buffalo was better on offense. Philadelphia was better on offense. They were two and three, respectively. And San Francisco was only better on defense because San Francisco was number one on defense. Right. And they were sixth in offense. Yes. The the simplest way to put it is... Sixth isn't bad. For a team that had massive injuries at the quarterback position and ended up playing its third-string quarterback. Defense matters in, and let's see if I can find the simplest way to put it. If you want to make the playoffs, you have to have a good offense. Over the course of a 17-game season, if your offense is not good, you should not expect to make the playoffs. You can't. You can't make the playoffs. once you've made the playoffs... And you're talking about games with sort of similar offensively skilled teams in the, that one moment and in a one and done playoff environment, which the NFL is, your defense may indeed at that point be the difference between a win and a but loss. But it wasn't in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl it was wasn't. a high scoring game. Neither defense so. was any good. It is decreasingly so. But def- defense in the NFL, it's funny because uh, somewhere Wade Phillips is smiling. Defense in the NFL doesn't have to do, and this is where some of the concern with the Broncos have been, unnecessarily limiting overall points or limiting yards. Defense is about turnovers, flipping field position turnovers. The, the This has not changed. As a matter of fact, the numbers have gone up. I've talked about this for years. If you listen to my program for years at this point, for the last decade, on average, a fumble in the NFL, if you recover a fumble, that is worth three points to your team, on average, roughly. Because obviously the field position changes, you're likely to get at least so three points out of it. An interception 
on average, gives you four because of the potential immediately for a return that might even be for a touchdown. It's more likely to return an interception. That, that a fumble. Then and it that's is the a difference. touch. So uh, on, it is yeah, on average, if your defense recovers a fumble, you might as well have just put three more points on the board. If it's an interception, it's four. Yeah. That's what today's defenses are about, generating turnovers. Because the offenses at the moment, the the, the, the highest part of the league, the KC, Buffalo, Philly, Cincinnati, uh, you don't stop them. It's, it's just that simple. You do not stop my, them. My best example is New England. Now, nobody thought the Patriots were any good last year. They were 24th, by the way, in DVOA offensively. I know. Yeah. They were number three defensively. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. I, my point is it doesn't matter. But it, the, the idea that Bill Belichick has lost it is nonsense. It's that the they still have a premier defensive team without necessarily an abundance of defensive stars. And they'll be good again defensively this year. The only way they'll make the playoffs is if they become one of the top 15, 16 offensive teams in the NFL. And that only happens if Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien collaborate. The interesting thing about those two is that Bill O'Brien, up until training camp, had learned a lot more about an offensive scheme from Mac Jones than Mac Jones had learned from Bill O'Brien. Because... Bill O'Brien was taught the Alabama offensive scheme by Mac Jones. Up until, well, I guess we can count OTAs. Up until, at the very most, OTAs this year, Mac Jones hadn't learned a damn thing from Bill O'Brien. Now, he didn't learn a damn thing from the offensive coordinators last year, the co-offensive coordinators, and the offense was a disaster. And Mac Jones went from being, in his rookie year, a very promising young quarterback to, to a guy being basically a disaster. Right. Although he is cited by Bill Barnwell as one of the 23 breakout players to watch for in 2023 in a piece that appeared today on ESPN.com and relevant to the Broncos. One of those 23 is one Quinn Miners, mm-hmm. whom... Barnwell might as well name first team all pro right now. He loves Quinn Miners. I love the story of Quinn Miners, and I said that at the time he was drafted. I mean, Paul Bunyan esque. Right. And even Sean Payton allowed as to how when they were preparing for the draft, they were mesmerized by it and and really attracted to the, the it's, video it's a combination. that came out. Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah. So it's a likable sales okay. pitch. But I, I'm I'm saying that You're not a believer then. I, I'm I'm saying that uh, I like the story better than the player up to this point, but I'll tell you what, there are folks at ESPN, uh, not just limited to Bill Barnwell, who love Quinn Miners. It's the combination and, and, of agility and, think he's and size. He's a virtual Pro Bowl guy right now. In fact, he is listed they in the 23 players they uh, that they Barnwell identifies. It goes from Pro Bowl to superstars, starters to Pro Bowlers, rotation players to solid starters, and post-hype candidates. And Mac Jones is at the top of that list. Quinn Miners is next to Garrett Wilson, the brilliant young wide receiver of the Jets, in going from a solid starter, which he seems to be, to a Pro Bowl caliber, if not all pro player. 
Well, the Broncos better hope so. And as, assuming that, uh, knock on wood, McGlinchey's injury is not serious, uh, you'd be talking well, about Well, Miners can't strong... play tackle. No, but I mean, if McGlinchey can. As good a guard as he may be. Right. As long as McGlinchey can, you're talking about a pretty solid right side of the offensive uh, line. Then. For run blocking, yes. yes. Fast blocking, not not so sure. But again, a big injury to McGlinchey today. And uh, yeah, Broncos we need, country needs to be kind of holding We need to assume that McGlinchey will not be playing in the preseason game on Friday night. And it's probably, although uh, he is described by Mike Pliss as being fine, well, that's probably yeah. Brandon Johnson won't be playing Friday Brandon night. Johnson won't either. No, uh, when you're talking about the the injury situations, that part is, um, and and I think when you're looking at the idea that Peyton has been meticulous about the way they're trying to manage injuries, I think that they have actually at this point been sensible in the way that they've kept guys off the field. But it also you need to keep in mind. Again, when we talk about these seven and sevens, when you talk about drills, when you hear people breathlessly describing the Russell Wilson hit Cortland Sutton for a touchdown at the end of the two-minute drill today and everything, and I'm, I'm not discounting it. Wilson has looked better. It looks like things are starting to click. Some of the receivers look better. Marvin Mims is now getting involved. He had some activity today, too. But keep in mind, because of those sort of uh, either injuries or uh, load management, to which Peyton said would be in cases due to age and experience as well. If you were over 30, you're going to be in the mix for uh, for that. Well, today, for example, you didn't have Justin Simmons, Kareem Jackson, or K1 Williams. Well, that's three of your five nickel defenders, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. So I would presume that Russell Wilson and company would have a little better luck than usual against three uh, 60% or backups when you have the rest of your number ones. Say McGlinchey, of course. There's been enough hurt. bad news without adding... To it, the fact that the offense can't even function against second and third stringers in the defensive secondary. That that would indeed be bad news. But uh, overall, the diva, all, all I'm saying is that teams like New England and New Orleans and the Jets were borderline bad teams last year. Mm-hmm. And they all had great defensive it's teams. It's very simple. And they all had much better, I mean, much better defensive teams, even according to DVOA, than the Denver Broncos did. Well, we'll just simplify it here. It's very easy. Uh, Out of those top 10 teams in offensive DOA last year, eight of them made the playoffs. Or pardon me, offensive DOA. Eight of them made the playoffs. Defensive, five. It's a coin flip. In other words, probably not actually that relevant. So, I mean, that's the key. If you want to make the I get it. Defense matters, but it doesn't matter until you make the the playoffs, and you can't make the playoffs without a top offense. End of story. You can win a Super Bowl as far back as 2006 with the 23rd-ranked scoring defense in football, the Indianapolis Colts, and you won last year with a below-average defense. The Kansas City Chiefs won last Mm -hmm. year. Uh, with a defense that was ranked 17th in efficiency. The Broncos are number 10. The Broncos have been a better defensive team than the Kansas City Chiefs for many years, more highly ranked, and the Broncos have a 15-game losing streak. Careful, don't get get Kevin Brown from Baltimore there. Oh, wait, Broncos actually don't have say over this program, so uh, you can actually talk about it in, you know, detail. Russell, oh, they, <laughs> have, they have plenty to say so over other stations that don't have rights to their games. But this would uh, obviously, look, that's that's the fact. Those are just stats, and uh, that's the way it goes. The Denver Broncos do, of course, uh, have that game on Friday, and Russell Wilson will be playing in it. Wilson had some comments as to why he's looking forward to it and what he thinks he can get out of it. We'll hear from him next on My Life Sports. Right. That you're here tonight. 
Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, I agree with you, Sandy. I doubt that even if even if it turns out to be a scare today for Mike McGlinchey, I don't think he's going to play on Friday in the preseason opener against Arizona. Uh, as you pointed out, uh, two teams that sat right next to each other in offensive uh, DVOA last year. And uh, Broncos uh, slightly did, ahead. They, Congrats. Broncos are 29th and Arizona was yeah. 30th. And by the way, 31 and 32 were the two worst teams overall in DVOA, Houston and Indy, 31 and 32. So that, that's kind of the company the Broncos are keeping last year, at least on the offensive side of the ball, right there with Arizona, Houston, and Indianapolis. And uh, Indianapolis, by the way, offense is going to be a little harder to get better. With and Jonathan, oh, by the way, Jonathan Taylor leaving camp today. Below the Washington commies who did not have a quarterback last year. Right, right. So a lot to work on. And that's why Sean Payton, in part, is here. And that's why Russell Wilson is going to play in the preseason. He had an opportunity to talk about playing in the preseason after not being able to do so last year. The opportunity to play in the preseason, is there's, there's three great things that happen, in my opinion. Number one, I think as a player, uh, just stepping in between the white lines, every time you step in between the light, white lines, it's a gift. You know, that's how I look at it. It's a gift to be able to play the game that we all love, that God has granted us the ability to play. I think the second thing is, is that you get to figure out who you are as a team. You know, I think in a lot of ways, uh, mentally, emotionally, uh, to celebrate one another. And I think the third thing is the best part about it all is I remember when I was a rookie. And I remember my first preseason game. I got to play Tennessee Titans. The second one was against Denver Broncos, ironically. And just those moments, uh, those moments are, are things that you'll forever remember. And you want to, you, um, you know, for, as, a, as a veteran, God, this is going to be my 12th year. Um, it's about seeing those guys develop and grow and taking everything they've done at, a, at such a high level on the practice field and seeing it between the white lines on a, on a game field. And uh, that's the opportunity that we have. And we're, we're excited to be able to play in front of our fans. You know, in Arizona, our fans obviously travel uh, amazing here, um, here in Denver. So we're excited about that. And so, um, uh, as you can imagine, some of that is the uh, the sort of the rah rah type. I, I get it, but I I think the idea. And by the way, congratulations to Russell Wilson. He and his wife Sierra expecting uh, be their their third child together, fourth overall. Uh, Sierra unveiled, unveiled that on social media today, and a sort of clever. Uh, calculated reveal where it kind of spins in the silhouette so she's pregnant so congratulations to them russell was asked when the due date was he said he wasn't going to tell uh, and why would he but congratulations to them and the I'll, 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 I'll say this now that we saw last year's uncoached which is basically the way i'm going to describe it i'm oversimplifying but more or less uncoached russell wilson do things the way he wanted to do things and it was disastrous i mean you've had you've seen quarterbacks of his caliber have bad years. He had an almost unprecedented year for a guy that did not suffer a serious injury that he tried to play through. So an almost unprecedented year of dropping off and going back and looking through some of the data and looking about, you know, the the sort of advanced metrics, things like that, some terrific work done by pro football folks and others on it. Wilson in many of the, the newer metrics was kind of uh, at times that the deep ball masked some of the other deficiencies. As it turns out, quite frankly, at least from a historical perspective, if Russell Wilson is sort of bristling against the play calls or frustrated about the way the offense works, 
he's probably at his best because it seems at least that Pete Carroll maybe knew Wilson better than Wilson knew Wilson. And even though that rubbed him the wrong way, they were able to make that work for quite a bit of time. And it might be in the case of Sean Payton, who probably, quite frankly, given his ability, also sees the same strengths and weaknesses in in Wilson and is trying to come up with a way to maximize it. If Wilson is a little bit bothered by there's no let Russ cook anymore, one, he's not letting it show, which is good. Two, if he is a little bothered by it, that might be good too because letting Wilson indulge his worst impulses is not only bad for his team, it's also turned out to be bad for Wilson. Let's make it clear. The decision not to play starters, that was a coaching decision. It was. That wasn't a Russell Wilson. It was not. Decision or was Hackett any being conservative group, about injuries, offense, defense, whatever. Which, quite frankly, I found defensible and still do. I, I, think. I do. That was the least of his offenses. Mm-hmm. If indeed that was an offense, yeah, it was if the it least even was. of their problems. It, it, as I've said repeatedly, and and you saw the same things I did last year at training camp. To me, the lack of conditioning didn't have anything to do with playing in the preseason or not playing in the preseason because you can't get in shape if the only means to get in shape is the preseason football. You're talking about 15 to 20 snaps, according to Sean Payton himself, for starters on Friday night. 15 to 20, right? Mm -hmm. 17, 18, whatever the number has been. He says, I don't go by the length of time guys play. I go by snaps, which is perfectly reasonable. But last year, that, that was a coaching decision. And this year, it is also a coaching decision. But there are a lot more coaching-driven moves being made during this camp all the way around, and especially on offense. They're teaching guys who have been at least those who have been here for more than a year, that teaching them systems that even if they played in a lot of different ones <laughs> over a span of time, this one's going to be different. This one's going to be different. This offense is going to be different from any offense that has preceded it going back to 2016. So it, it, it's, it's going to be new for everybody, and I think that might be a break for Wilson. And it's also a break. Uh, you know, I didn't hear Joe Lombardi. Uh, we may or may not hear from him today yeah. or tomorrow. Uh, the new offensive coordinator, but at the mandatory minicamp in June, he made the point that we're teaching things that Russell Wilson has never been taught before. New things. It's never a new way of doing things that he's never had to go through before. And I, I don't think that was meant to be any kind of shot across the bow or a warning, but it was an interesting statement that they expect Russell Wilson to accept coaching. Well, and I think you have to do that. On the, on the bright side, if you... And it isn't just reinforcing all the things right. he likes to it's, do. It's things that you need to know. Well, Wilson, for his part, actually talked about one of the, the reasons that this preseason... Uh, actually is is important given the new coaching staff coaching factors an awful lot into exactly what he focused on um you know i, I think the biggest challenge um i wouldn't necessarily call it a challenge but i think the biggest opportunity 
that we have is, is that we have an, a coach and Coach Payton that's been one of the best offensive player, play callers of all time. But also, too, we have a lot of great coaches on the staff, um, Coach Lombardi, uh, Coach Johnny Moe, um, Coach Webb, you know, who's a guy who's played in the league. You know, we've got a lot of knowledge around us you know, throughout the whole, whole team. Uh, Coach Streif, who's played in the game at the highest level. So there's a lot of knowledge around us. And I think that if we're all able to glean from that knowledge and learn as much as we possibly can, and then at the same time uh, take, you know, take our abilities and put it on the field and just have a great, tremendous trust in, into all the things that we're learning, I think it's a great opportunity for who we are and where we can go. And the key is obviously all of us staying you know, super healthy and playing, being ready to rock every week. And, uh, but I feel like we're uh, doing a great job. And there's a lot more to go. Now, when you hear from Wilson, obviously he's, uh, and, and I don't mean this necessarily as, a, as denigrating. It's just the nature. A lot of athletes are this way. Uh, with Wilson, there is a bit of, there's a bit of show. There's a bit of artifice. There's a bit of. Uh, you you know, have to cut through some stuff. Yeah. But I, I think basically it's no different than there, no is, different than coach it, speak, it is, you know, is true. And I, I do think last year, although I always find it interesting that uh, after the fact that players become real smart about what a previous coach didn't do or didn't do very well, uh, nobody was complaining last year that they weren't being taught. In fact, one of the points of emphasis was that we'll spend a lot of more, uh, a lot more of our time in meeting rooms than we'll be spending on the practice field. Right, and the same seems to be true this year. Actually, if you're looking for raw time spent on the practice field, it's not a lot. I mean, I, I was reading the other day about a two-hour, fifteen-minute practice somewhere. They're not yeah. doing two hours, fifteen minutes of practicing here in in Denver, and it, not yet. No, whether it's on the collegiate level or or the NFL level, who's going less than an hour and a half? Right, and that's about what the Broncos have been doing. If I'm to understand correctly. I don't think they've had a practice more than a few minutes longer than an hour and a half. I don't believe nothing uh, like no. two hours or two hours fifteen. No, minutes. no, no, not that, not that far. No, uh, they definitely have uh, have not. So when you're talking about the, and that's okay, I think, quite frankly, especially and and Peyton's talked about it. At this stage, there is a lot of of meetings and film work and and whiteboard stuff. So I think that's totally fine, and I think you do have to limit. I will say this, that the length of the practices, uh, no. The tempo and the physicality of the practices, I think, are higher than most at the other NFL level at this point. It's the exact opposite of what you saw with Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, They go fast. Tempo is a big part of what Sean Payton's doing in this training camp. They they get at it, and they get at it quick, so they get a lot done. Uh, They get more done in an hour under Peyton than they did in two under Hackett. It's not even all that close. So I think there's good balance here. And I think we're sort of at a point where for lack of a better term, Sandy, we're in a, we're in a bit of a holding pattern, right? We don't really know. We're looking at, I've already talked about how it's great. The Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton and Marvin Mims look good today. But again, with no Justin Simmons, no Kareem Jackson, no Kwan Williams. Don't you expect them to be looking good? I mean, I do the, you're going to have to wait a little bit and see what this looks like with a new coaching staff that clearly does know what they are doing. Now, can they, can they get it the way they want to get it in a short span of time? I don't know, but you know that they know what they're doing. It isn't boy. How, how will Nathaniel Hackett handle this situation when it happens? Look, this, we know that Sean Payne's going to handle most of these situations. And 
we understand how he puts together a team in camp. We understand how this all goes together. It's not like he was out of the league for all that long. But as far as evaluating, you have to kind of look at it and say, okay, well, we'll see. Uh, Wilson seems to be saying all the right things. He does seem to be getting better as camp goes along. The Broncos offense seems to be getting better as camp goes along. There are but things that you can look at. we did see that and say that last year. Sure. Sure. But you also didn't, but that, that was all. Nobody said he was regressing until they started playing games that counted. And then it seemed yeah. even, even during the first half of the season that he played, I thought, better than he did the second half of the season. I, I, I'm just looking at it in relative terms. I thought he had more. I, I thought he had seven out of 17 games. Um, of course, he missed a couple, but less than half of the more good performances. And I, I think stretching it out, you'd say seven were average or better. All right. Four of those came in the first half of the season. Only three came in the last nine games. And I was reading uh, a, a bit about Trevor Lawrence today, who is Bill Barnwell's of the 23 breakout players, the one he likes the most, uh-huh. to go from maybe Pro Bowl caliber to superstar. Player. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and he made the point, remember London last year mm-hmm. and how bad Lawrence was? Wilson wasn't very good, but Lawrence was terrible. And Lawrence blew the game, single-handedly blew the game, gave the game to the Broncos, handed it to him on a silver platter. He said Lawrence and I think the stats back this up. He said Lawrence was as bad last year in the first half of the season under Doug Peterson as he ever was in his rookie year under Urban Meyer. But the second half of the season, yeah. he was one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the sport. When you have a coach that knows what he's doing with quarterbacks and that coach has a plan, you have to get from point A to point B. But that happened after London. London was the last real bad game from start to finish that Trevor Lawrence played and that in the first half of the season. Some of that was basically unlearning some of the terrible habits had gotten under Urban Meyer and then getting right. And so perhaps Russell Wilson's got to unlearn some of the habits that he himself put in place. And and that may be the case for the Broncos too. Can they afford it? I don't necessarily know. They they certainly are going to need to get wins early and get them often. If you are injured, you have to get a win and you don't have any opportunity to wait. That's why you have to talk to our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com is the website. 720-845-7001 is the phone number. Hire the winner. That's what they do. Uh, they don't just take something off a billboard and it's dragging it out for them. They make sure that when you're injured, they push for you to get the maximum recovery. And whether that's by settlement or by trial, making sure that it's the best fit for you as quickly as they can. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience doing this exactly for their clients. Locations of Port Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, DTC, Colorado Springs, and even up north in Cheyenne. So when you're injured, uh, go ahead and get somebody who will get you the wins. That's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. So for that offense, Brandon Johnson is expected to be fine. Where does the rest of the depth come from? We've seen a little bit of Marvin Mims. Montreal, Washington, still back there returning some kicks. Where does the depth come from? Is this a position the Broncos are still deep at? Or do they have to look uh, a little bit deeper? Maybe somewhere else, given the fact that if another injury strikes, then they maybe don't get as lucky. We'll take a peek at those wideouts next on Miley Sports.
let's forget about it. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. With your odd uh, music trivia video for the song Third Eye Blind, the protagonist in there was a former Raiders cheerleader named Terry Stevens, who at the time, shortly after the video snip, was actually dating John Elway. Just a small little uh, totally non-connection connection. The Denver Broncos have 12 wide receivers. Available right now, not including Tim Patrick, of course, who's uh, presumably out for the year on IR after the uh, injury that he suffered. The Broncos aren't going to keep 12. Uh, They're likely to keep six. Anything more than that, I think, becomes challenging. We know for a fact that Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Marvin Mims are three of them. Uh, Marcus Calloway, I can say, is as close to a lock as you can get because, one, he led the New Orleans Saints in receiving yards the last time Sean Payton coached a football team. And for a a group that is long on least promise and somewhat short on production, I presume that Payton's going to take the guy that he knows at least produces for him, even if that number for Callaway was not ridiculous in his last year of coaching. The rest is interesting. Brandon Johnson went down with an injury. He looks like he's got an inside track. He's basically stepped in and replaced Tim Patrick almost snap for snap. To the injury today, Mike Kliss reported that he will be, quote-unquote, fine uh, right as the show began. But then you get down to the last one, and uh, Michael Bandy has looked good. In addition there, um, from the Chargers, uh, Taylor Grimes has looked good at times. Uh, Jalen Virgil, we know about the speed from last year, some talent there. Montreal Washington, who was not able to handle that return job, has been doing most of it in camp thus far. But it feels like maybe if Mims had been healthier, he might have a shot. So pay attention to that. Because that's four that I feel are very, very solid. If Brandon Johnson remains healthy and continues to keep replacing Tim Patrick in these formations, I presume he's number five. Six, to my mind, I don't know if he's as talented as Jalen Virgil. He wasn't drafted like Montreal Washington. But when you're getting down to your final wide receiver, you want someone who's versatile and reliable. And that's why I actually think even though He's maybe not as highly regarded when it comes to upside. I think Kendall Hinton's going to make this team because he's reliable and flexible. Exactly. And that's one thing they haven't and had always much prepared at wide receiver. Reliability, number one, and flexibility, number two. So that's five in Judy Sutton, Mims, Callaway, and Hinton. Is there any way they could keep more than six wide receivers no. on this team? No. I, I, I don't see it. They'd have to go dreadfully thin somewhere else. Then as it stands right now, you're talking about Brandon Johnson and Montreal Washington is the only guys that actually have sort of carved out roles when it comes to practices. That probably isn't much of a competition because it would, again, indicate Mims, a second-round pick, given that the team had, at the time, a healthy Tim Patrick and Judy and Sutton, uh, presumably, Mims isn't picked in the second round unless Sean Payton had a plan for Good him. Good part of his value would seem to have been special teams related as to why they drafted him. Because otherwise, it was kind of a puzzling it selection was. to make. 
It really was. Given the contract situations for all the other guys, knowing that there there were no uh, suitors for Sutton and Judy at, at anything resembling what the Broncos so were doing. he's not going to return punts. Why'd you draft him? Or, or move up to. Yeah. Put and it's another reason why I, I, I tried to caution everybody when the Broncos said, oh, it, you know, waving KJ Hamler was a procedural move. They'd love to have him back. I, look, you'd love, you didn't have to wave him. If, if you loved him, you didn't have to wave him. When you get waved, you're waved. Uh, they can say what they want. Yeah, but, but, uh, you can dress it up and talk about various scenarios. Yeah, when you you're waved, exactly you're right. You're, you're waved. You're not a part of the football team. And when you're not a part of it at all, whether man, that means even in the training room, uh, it, it's a long road to coming back. And so, if I mean, he's got you're anything at. related to a heart condition, I, I, it, you know, it's described, and I listen, Medical people know far more, obviously, than I would ever know about this. But anything relating to the heart on top of the injuries and obvious struggles he's already had, I I don't see how he plays for this team again. I hope he has a career. I hope he gets healthy. Uh, I don't know if it'll be this year. Hopefully at some point this year. Someone will have a need uh, for a wide receiver. And after all, he's a second-round pick. And although I thought it was uh, a less-than-wise choice, it wasn't like people were screaming, how come you drafted this fourth- or fifth-round prospect in the second round? People weren't saying that. Well, even even if Hamler was on the roster and healthy. Let's let's look at that. Now, Mims is a Sean Payton selection in the second round. He's staying. Callaway is, for the reasons I described, yeah. staying. And and you're talking about Hamler. He's not even a George Payton ha- selection. Right. Hamler would be competing with, wouldn't really be competing with even Brandon Johnson because Brandon Johnson's got this Tim Patrick size, of which is what they want to utilize. It would be versus Kendall Hinton, and it would be Hamler slash Washington slash Hinton for the sixth wide receiver role. The Broncos, I, I think, genuinely hope the best for K.J. Hamler, as Sandy pointed out. I think everyone does. They also realized he's not making this team. There's no room for him on this team. Even if he was healthy, he wouldn't be making this team. Because for whatever so reason, cut him loose now, they have not trained him as a return man. Right, and give, which is odd because at Penn State, he actually did yeah. return. But the Broncos have decided to move on from And that's K. two K. different Hamler. coaches and two different coaching staffs. This now being a third different coaching but staff. But still decided that, that wasn't where we wanted decided to go that they were going to draft Mims because he could return punts and had been trained to do that more so than had K.J. Hamler, although collegiately K.J. Hamler returned punts and kicks kicks at Penn State. So this is where you have to sort of parse things when you're talking about coach speak this time of year especially. When you you look at it, when you break it down, uh, there just wasn't a spot. And I think when you're talking about the idea of the wide receiver competition, we're really talking about one spot. Uh, Kendall Hinton is a Sean Payton kind of guy. That's his guy. Knows all the plays. Knows the plays well enough, Jeff, that you can throw him in a quarterback, even though it technically didn't count that way. I get it. Nevertheless, uh, that's the guy they felt, well, at least he can handle it, even though no one left on our roster can throw. 
Hinton, to me, is exactly what you want as your final wide receiver. You know, you're getting desperate anyway. You at least want a guy that knows all knows all, what his job is, knows all the, the routes, knows everything about it, and is a willing and capable special teams contributor. To my mind, Kendall Hinton is more valuable than people think, and that's why he's going to make this team. Uh, Callaway, for the reasons I explained. So, really, it's, it's one spot, and it looks to be Brandon Johnson if he's healthy because somebody needs to replace Tim Patrick, Jalen Virgil has not really shown that he can do it. There's the other guy with sort of elite physical talent. So that's kind of interesting because you're going into the preseason and we're really talking about one wide receiver position and maybe, because yesterday, Sandy, I talked about this a little bit that I already kind of had leanings on the jobs that were open. I didn't have any wide receiver jobs open because I had Brandon Johnson penciled in. But you'll hear a lot about that in camp. You'll hear a lot about that in preseason you may see a a uh, michael bandy or a taylor grimes have a nice game on friday and for a moment you'll hear people you know breathlessly talk about does he have a chance to make the team and the answer is no no he doesn't because that's the way these things actually work your contracts as much as whether whether we try to say that the sports is a meritocracy and certain times it's not and your contracts and your draft position are one of those things that override it who drafted you overrides it. There's just not that kind of space. So is that a good or bad thing? Because Russell Wilson can, because uh, again, when you, when you start looking at the way these things go in practice, Russell Wilson's by and large going to be thrown to those six guys in practices. And Jared Stidham is going to be thrown to the other guys. So is that actually a good thing? that you more or less have that cemented or is it more of a problem because of the lack of depth? Yeah, a little bit of both, but uh, you're right. I agree with the way you're breaking that down. Wilson will throw to those first six instead of will throw as the second teamer much more often to the second group of six. And out of that group, seven through 12, In either Friday night's game or in the game the following week, and preferably in both, one of those six guys is going to have to jump out. And I mean, to break in as a threat to the six guys. And what does that look like? Because we talk, it's not just, I have no it's idea. not just stats, right? <laughs> you you could get behind a, a, a cornerback. I have no that, idea what that looks You could like. be getting behind a third string cornerback that slips and you catch a bomb and an 80 yard touchdown pass. But that's, that, and, and fans get excited about that. And I understand why, but coaches look at it and go, eh, three's against three. The cornerback you know, took a battler out. You know what? I want to see if any of them can return a punt. If any of them show on special teams. To me, that's yeah, where I, I want to see it. Say, uh, it's less about know, the receiving you, you part can, of it. You can diminish, minimize, maximize what you see of them as receivers, but I want to see what they do on special teams. If you teams. make the team at all, and that's I know what they you're got doing. a new special teams coach, and every new, the seemingly change special teams coaches around here as often as they change head coaches and coordinators, right? And every special teams coach over the last seven years comes in here and says, everything looks great. Don't want to hear about past pratfalls on special teams. Uh, well, I, I did think it was I interesting because today. It's not your, it wasn't yours well, last year. If you're Ben okay. Conrica, it wasn't your I special teams think, last year. Uh, 
<laughs> Not your fault. I give Ben Kotwika, is it? The new special teams coordinator, some credit. Because he was asked on whether the changes made to the special teams unit were obvious. And instead of saying, eh, no, not really, we're still kind of evaluating, everybody's got a clean slate, he said, a couple. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, more than one was an obvious change. And, uh, you know, that's another right tackle and special teams have been so bad here for so long with the exception of the Super Bowl season on special teams. I mean, I'm I'm going back 20, 25 years. There have been a handful of seasons in which the Broncos have had pretty good special teams. But beyond that, I'd say just off the top of my head, 20 of the last 25 years on special teams, they have been very good. Well, one way or another, you've got a new kicker and a new punter. So that's obviously starting it out right off the bat, too. Maybe those are the couple he was referring to. Uh, Well, we know those are the couple they changed uh, without any question. We'll be joined to talk more about the Broncos and their upcoming preseason debut with Fox 31's Aaron Anderson. He joins us next on My Life Sports.